Hello, I'm Father Mitch Packle, and welcome to EWTN Live. Tonight, we're going to learn about the rich parish history of the Basilica of St. Anne de Detroit, otherwise known as Detroit. And we will also talk about the Catholic faith and the way that it's growing in the Midwest. First, we want to talk briefly with EWTN's Jim Pinto about the growing ranks of EWTN's media missionaries. Jim, what have you got here for us on Father, the missionaries? Father, we are, are growing, and in no small part to our times of uh, sharing together and people mm -hmm. join up. We have 14,990 well, EWTN media missionaries. 15, I'm expecting, 000. as a result of this show, that we're going to break your 15,000. And we'll right. try and find out who the 15,000th person is, but you got to join. EW10missionaries.com, go there, you can join, or you give us a call, 205-795-5771, to keep EWTN in sight yeah. and in mind. So that's what we do. Yeah. So we want people that not only love EWTN, mm -hmm. but want to present EWTN, want to create more and more media awareness in their parish, mm -hmm. their families, their communities. We send them beautiful literature each, each uh, you know, several months posters that they can post up in their parish, Family Life Center, chapel, uh, YMCA, university campuses, uh, keeping EW10 in sight. We're especially focusing upon pro-life. We are in such a historic time, as everybody knows. This is all that you hear about now. And so abortion and the sanctity of the human person is in sight. This should be our hour, because out of sight, out of mind. As long as it's in sight, we can talk about things. Right. They have to defend the taking of innocent human life right. and, and celebrate that. All we have to do is lift up the beauty of human life, the sanctity of every human being from the moment of conception through natural death. This has been the church's, one of the church's key missions since the dawn of Christianity. With dauntless fidelity, we have proclaimed the gospel of life. John Paul II said, don't be afraid. Right. We are an, an Easter people, hallelujah is our song. So if you join, we wanna send you material and uh, we have pro-life material that we wanna send to you. And uh, I shared last time, um, about Pro-Life Weekly. We have a beautiful poster of that, but we've commissioned a new poster. It's called Celebrate the Beauty of Life. Celebrate the Beauty of Life. This is the image, Father. I believe they have it up there. Just, you know, a mom and a dad, the beauty of the face of that child. And uh, it, it's been said that this is, the, this is the final battle between Satan and, and, and the church and our Lord is family. Mm -hmm. And so you, we will send these to you. You can post them, put them up, and I can tell you something. When posters like this get up, pro-life posters of various kinds, women who are pregnant, and they're in our church, a lot of them, and they're thinking about abortion, and they're saying, God, give me a sign, God, give me a sign, God, give me a sign. They see something like this, and some of them change their mind. Sure. They say, maybe God's saying to me, I sure. should have this baby. Maybe God's saying to me, maybe get married. And this is a time we need to bring post-abortion healing to people as well. Yep. This is triggering you know, women who've had abortions, guys who've you know, been involved who are post-abortive, moms and dads, grandma or grandpa who may have paid for an abortion, those who were supposed to be aborted but weren't. And so we want to equip people, EW10 family, to be media missionaries, to share the gospel of life. And we need you to, to join us and to become a part of it, become the 15,000th media missionary. People are waiting to take your call now. Staff is working overtime. And if you're not the 15,000th, then we want you to start on the way towards the 16,000. Oh, yeah. So, well, that <laughs> so again, the phone number is 205-795-5771, or you can send an email right to EWTNmissionaries at EWTN.com. Thank you, Jim. Thank and you, hopefully Father. we'll get uh, Amen. all these Give us a call now. There. We're waiting for you. All right. Thank you. And we'll be back with our guest for tonight's show, so please stay with us. Welcome back. Our guest tonight 
is a native of the great city of Detroit. He taught in Catholic seminaries and served in various parishes in the Detroit area for almost 40 years. Six years ago, he was appointed rector of the second oldest continuously operating parish in the United States, which happens to be the Basilica of St. Anne de Detroit, the St. Anne of Detroit. It was founded in 1701. Take a look at this little clip. There is a place, a very special place, a place you have to see to believe. And once you do, you will. Your spirit will be lifted skyward, awestruck by the luminous beauty of masterful artwork and historic architecture. This place is history, a beacon for the city of Detroit for centuries guided it through its darkest times to its resurgence today. This place is a door that's always open, a humble teacher, a guiding light. This is the Basilica of St. Anne de Detroit. All right. Now here to tell us more about this wonderful history of the parish of St. Anne and how the Catholic faith is seeing a resurgence in the Midwestern section of the country, please welcome our guest, Monsignor Chuck Kasanke. Monsignor, welcome. Thank Good you, to have you. Glad to be here. Good to have you very much. Um, when I was a, uh, my first year, I was not a freshman, I was a, a junior, but a junior in college, and for the first my first year of living in Detroit at University of Detroit, I went over to your parish, and it was you know, sort of run down back then, and the parish wasn't quite so active. Neighborhoods have been changing. Um, you're there now as pastor, and you're part of this renaissance that is being taking place in the city of Detroit, including in this parish. No, you're absolutely right. Um, the last couple of years, uh, Detroit, the city of Detroit has been experiencing a resurgence. Mm -hmm. um, even in our own neighborhood, our immediate neighborhood, uh, Ford Motor Company uh, is investing $1 billion in the neighborhood as their sort of their city headquarters for electrical vehicles and mm -hmm. autonomous vehicles, something that we never foresaw, uh, which is creating a, uh, a really... Uh, increasing uh, draw from a lot for a lot of people to be in that part of the the city, uh, people who haven't been in Detroit in five or six years wouldn't recognize actually uh, yeah. the neighborhood. Um, and St. Anne's, when I arrived there six years ago, it was you know it was sort of uh, dying unfortunately, and so uh, I had the opportunity to hire a great team, and together uh, we've done a lot of. Uh, work growing and strengthening uh, a very viable uh, community um, that we're very proud of. Yeah, I, I'm going to have to get back there because I haven't been to St. Anne's in over 50 years. That's been a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's, um, it's something I would really like to get back and see. And part of it is the inherent value for the church, for the city of Detroit and the state of Michigan to maintain this church and keep it as a viable presence of the ministry of Jesus Christ in the city because it's been there since the founding of Detroit, correct? Correct, so the congregation uh, began in 1701 uh, when Cadillac uh, founded Detroit in July near the Feast of St. Anne. So hence the original church was in the Fort Pontchartrain. And for the first 115 years, it was the only place of worship in the city of Detroit. The only place of worship. 
And then uh, as a result of the War of 1812, Protestants started coming to the area. Uh, Reverend John Monteith um, was a Presbyterian, who was the first Protestant minister to come uh, to start the ministering to the Protestant uh, uh, folks. Uh, him and the current pastor at that time, Father Gabriel Richard, who's renowned in Detroit history, uh, really hit it off. They were both very well educated, very much concerned about education for um, the Native Americans, the French, and the Afro-Americans. Um, it, it's, a, it's a really great how these two clergymen really responded together to the educational needs of, of the city. And then they took it a step further, and the two of them, along with Judge Woodward, founded the University of Michigan. See, that, that's a, a part of the story people would not guess, is that a Catholic priest was part of the founding of one of the truly great universities in the country. That's right. And Monteith was the first president. Gilbert Sharp was the first vice president. Um, and then 20 years later, in 1837, uh, University of Michigan moved to Ann Arbor, where it is, is today. But mm -hmm. uh, not many people know that that prestigious university was founded by two clergymen and, and a judge. That's right. Yeah. And, and I oftentimes like to bring out the institution of the university was an invention of the Catholic Church in the first place That's correct. at the University of Paris. Well, it was even before that, I believe at Padua. Um, and so it started in Italy and University of Paris is right there with uh, one of the oldest, if not the oldest. And so this, the, the church has continued to found universities. Uh, and of course, the Jesuits have a university in uh, Detroit, um, uh, University of Detroit, now Detroit Mercy. Correct. So this is, um, you know, a, a very important part of our work. But with Father Richard, the founder, uh, you know, the pastor of this parish, he's so important in Michigan history. He's one of the two people who is represented at Statuary Hall in Washington, D.C. at the Capitol building. That's correct. In 1823, he was elected as a territorial delegate to Congress, uh, a delegate because Michigan wasn't a state uh, at that time. And so he represented, represented the territory. And as a result, he became friends with President Thomas Jefferson. He uh, got funding for some educational endeavors. Mm -hmm. And also there was a need to have a road between Detroit and Chicago uh, to advance commerce, um, and he got the federal funding for that, which we know as Michigan Avenue or US 12. Yes, yeah, which is still a significant highway. Correct, right. Um, in fact, before the uh, interstate system, it was the highway the between highway. Chicago and Detroit. That's correct, right. So, you know, this, so he's, you know, very significant character. He's kind of uh, he's kind of considered the second founder of Detroit because in 1805 the city burnt to the ground. Uh, they suspected the fire was started in a barn and that uh, something was kicked over and and because of the winds at the time the, uh, in the winter it just spread literally like wildfire and the whole city burnt to the ground. Sadly, you know that barn story came to Chicago about 50 years, or well, no, about almost 70 years later, with the Chicago fire. That was also in a barn. Yeah, yeah. And we don't learn from our research, anyways. Uh, but as a result, Father Richard, in the midst of all this, he's the only at this point the only religious leader in the town. Uh, Judge Woodward is a civil leader, uh, civil leader, and Richard says, you know. We arise from the ashes, we hope for better things. And that exclamation is still in the seal of the city of Detroit. Uh -huh. So he, uh, he helped uh, rebuild it. Finally, in 1818, after the war, finally got the funds to start. And that, by the war, you mean the War of 1812? Correct. And so he finally was able to uh, amass enough funds to start building uh, a new church, this time, out of out of stone, no more wood. <laughs> he got he was smart. Yeah. So he built the stone church in 1818, 
uh, which took, actually took 10 years to complete. Mm -hmm. um, and the, uh, that's our seventh church. So that's the church prior to the one we have now. Mm -hmm. we, we have a clip Yes. Of some of that history. Let's take a look at that clip. It's 1701, and Antoine de la Monts Cadillac stacks timber along the river to form Fort Pontchartrain, where Hart Plaza is today. The city of Detroit is born. In that first settlement was a log cabin church. This would become the Basilica of Saint Anne de Detroit. In fact, the first baptismal record is for Maria Therese Cadillac, Antoine's daughter. This is where 300 years of our history began. It is here that St. Anne's most famous pastor, Father Gabriel Richard, ministered to our city, and his remains are interred in the Basilica Chapel to this day. Often called the second founder of Detroit, he is credited with coining the city's motto after the Great Fire of 1805. We hope for better things. It will rise from the ashes. When you stand in the center of this great church, you are connected to the past and part of a rising future. Our basilica is a giant on the landscape of Southwest Detroit. And as our neighborhood grows, we have a significant role to play. This is especially true now, as Ford begins its rehab of Michigan Central Station just a few blocks away. So this is, uh, it's a great, that's great shots of the church and that part of the city, very close to one of the bridges. And that's a bridge. Yeah, right. goes over to Canada. Canada. Um, and it, it's one of the few places where Canada is to the south. That's correct. Of the Very United good. States. That's correct. <laughs> so I remember having been in Detroit. So this this is, um, you know, a, a very important church. And as that part of the city is being revitalized right. by the Ford Company, um, this is a great opportunity for the church to take a new role of leadership and under your guidance, I'm afraid. Yeah, no, no you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, St. Anne's uh, history and the history of the city of Detroit have been intertwined from, from the first week, yeah. right, in 1701. And so the importance of this parish as part of the resurgence of Detroit is that this, this beautiful church built by the French in 1886 is really an icon uh, now, obviously, for us, what's prim primary is not a building. It's the, it's a community, obviously. Sure. But uh, for centuries, uh, the church has used buildings uh, to uh, as instruments in its mission, yep. uh, both spiritual and temporal. And so, to have beautiful, inspiring churches is part of the church's mission to bring people to Christ. I mean, that's yeah. our that salvation is. Yep. That's what we're about, and. We, for example, we have uh, 80 weddings at the uh, Basilica each year. 25% uh, are from the parish and 75% uh, outside the parish. But we don't want it as a wedding chapel, even though it's a beautiful church. Um, I explained to people it's one of our forms of evangelization because the young people, they, they're attracted by beauty and they're attracted to the beautiful church to have a beautiful wedding, their special day, which is which is great, but that becomes the Venus, the Venus flytrap, <laughs> um, because that's what brings them in. But they have to go through our our marriage preparation program uh, called Witness to Love, uh, which is which program out of the South. Mm -hmm. um, but as a result, our goal is to reconnect these young people uh, to the church, because yes. there's there's a number of them who are unchurched, sadly. Yeah. And if we can, through the beauty of the Basilica, through a positive and authentic marriage preparation, get them reconnected for the church, then we're accomplishing uh, our mission. Um, it's not just a, a venue. That's That would be uh, a waste of our time if it's simply a venue. Yeah, and I think this is a, a extremely important 
part of the mission because today we have more than half of all children are being born to unmarried people. Following the vocation to the priesthood and religious life is oftentimes brought up as, oh, this is a great problem for the church. But throughout the whole country, people don't even follow the vocation to stay faithful to the other person who's the parent of their children. Well, and studies have shown that fatherless families are a cause of so many of the social Absolutely. ills that we experience. Poverty, the number one cause of poverty is that when fathers are not staying with moms and children. Um, this is key. And to have these young people who at least they say, okay, this is that flickering wick, that, that, that smoldering wick that the Lord speaks of in the Gospel of Matthew. That you don't snuff it out, bring it to flame. That's right. That's right. That's that's what we want to do. They want to get married. They want something beautiful. Okay, don't just treat them like customers. They're people to evangelize. That's right. That's right. And certainly the basilica, our, our, any basilica in the diocese, but especially including ours, of course, uh, it's not just about the the parish, which is important, but it's, it's serving the whole diocese. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a place of pilgrimage, which is one of the criteria to become a basilica. Um, we are supposed to, according to the church, offer uh, opportunities <laughs> to learn more about church teaching. Uh, you know, it's not a matter of just having a catechetical program for, you know, elementary school kids. Mm-hmm. Um, we're supposed to uh, provide other catechetical uh, opportunities and in fact the church itself is catechetical because Absolutely. when when this the French Gothic architecture when you walk into this church as as was seen on those uh, slides that you're you're immediately lifted up uh, to the ceiling which is painted as the heavens right? right and then around you you're surrounded by the lives of the saints who are in heaven, ordinary people who live extraordinary lives. In fact, that's even the idea of the stained glass windows that the illumination of heaven is surrounding these saints that you're surrounded by. It's that cloud of witnesses that the letter to the Hebrews chapter 11 speaks about. That's right. So whether you're coming on a tour or a pilgrimage, because there is a slight difference, of course, you're being catechized. We're using the lives of the saints to catechize Catholics and non-Catholics about uh, the faith. You know, Pope, another example is Pope Francis, uh, of course, is declaring a holy year in 2025, and he wants in 2023 for Catholics to study the major documents of the council, and then 2024 is the year of prayer. So we plan in our, uh, in our Lenten, next year's Lenten series to actually do presentations from scholars on those documents as a, as a service to the diocese sure. and as a basilica uh, that's very attentive to the intentions of the Holy Father and uh, to the uh, authentic teaching of the church. Yeah, and something that you've brought up, I think we need to address. This is a basilica. That doesn't mean it's the cathedral, does it? Right. What's the name of the cathedral in Blessed Detroit? Sacrament Cathedral. And so that's a different church entirely. Right. So your basilica and St. Peter's Basilica is not the Cathedral Church of Rome either. That's correct. So what is the difference between a basilica and a cathedral? You know, you're not the only one who asked that question. Well, that <laughs> I, I, not. I get that question actually uh, dozens of times. A cathedral is the bishop's church of the diocese that houses the cathedra, his chair, which is the symbol of his teaching authority. Right. So the, the church that holds the cathedra <clears throat> is a cathedral. And that rank, that, the cathedral ranks first in the diocese. In right fact, after that, that's a custom to have that chair that goes back to Judaism. Right. That in the synagogue, they have the Moses seat. That's right. So the rabbi 
would teach from them. That's the same idea. It's the same idea. And so the cathedral of the diocese is, is the first church, always. Then if the diocese has a basilica, like Detroit does, that ranks right after the, the cathedral in terms of the other churches in, in the diocese because of its connection to the Holy Father, because he's the one who makes a church a basilica. Yeah, so what are some of the privileges of being a basilica? Uh, there's several uh, privileges. Uh, one is that during the year there are certain masses that are celebrated and people attend those masses um, and receive confession and pray for the Holy Father's intentions. They receive a uh, plenary indulgence. So for your church, what would those feast days be? Well, all basilicas have to do um, the Feast of St. Uh, uh, Peter and Paul because yes. it's connection with the Holy Father, the, ch uh, the chair of St. Peter. Uh, and then after that, it's the, uh, the date of the election of the current Holy Father okay. and the date where the, the church was named the Basilica and also uh, a date that's determined by the Bishop of the Diocese. For us, it's March 8th, which is the founding date of the Diocese of Detroit. Okay. So the Bishop picked the found, our founding day as, and then the last one is really any person who comes on pilgrimage uh, with the intention of, uh, not the intention, but receiving confession, going to mass and praying for the intentions of the Holy Father receives a plenary uh, indulgence. Do you have anything special for the Feast of St. Anne? Yes, uh, for over... Uh, which is July 26th. For any of you who are in the Detroit area for July 26th... Absolutely. So for over, the Bazillions are the ones who built the current church in 1886. So they started a novena to St. Anne's, a nine-day uh, preparation to celebrate the feast. So it's been going on for over 125 some years. Mm -hmm. And so starting this Sunday, uh, July 17th, we uh, start the novena, it goes to the 25th, and then the Archbishop always comes to celebrate uh, the feast day. Now each, what's unique about a novena is that each day honors a different language and culture of the world. So the Sunday is the Celtic, the Irish, British, Scottish, Welsh, and then we have the Latino, which takes in all the uh, Latin American and Central American world. And we have, uh, we even recognize the Chaldean, the Chaldean bishop comes uh, and does a uh, mass in Chaldean according to their rites. It's actually our most populous mass after the feast day. Mm -hmm. uh, one night is uh, Western European, which takes in Italy and Malta and Germany. Uh, Austria, etc. Eastern European, which takes in the, the Polish, the Slavic, the uh, Hungarians, Lithuanians. Mm -hmm. uh, Asian, which takes in the Filipinos, uh, people from India, uh, Korea, Chinese. And so each of these nights, people are encouraged to wear their ethnic uh, dress. Mm -hmm. uh, some of these parishes will bring their choirs to sing in that nice. language. Nice. So it really becomes an experience of the universal church in those nine days, really honoring uh, the church in every part of the world uh, as we prepare for, uh, celebrate the Feast of St. Anne's. And of course, that would be a good time for all the grandmas to get some prayers. You know, all the grandkids could be praying for their grandmas. Right, last Getting year. Ready for that? Feast. Right, last year, uh, Pope Francis uh, designated the the Sunday, last Sunday of July as Grandparents' Day mm -hmm. and for the elderly, and so this would be the second year, and w as a, a special as a way to commemorate this, uh, we've had in a, since we became a basilica, the Gorelli family in Italy, who are well known for uh, customizing rosaries for basilicas throughout the world. Uh, so they've done the same for us. And so our most recent two rosaries is one for uh, grandparents, which includes a medal of St. Anne and St. Joachim, and also for the Holy Family. But we have seven different rosaries that have been commissioned, especially that reflect uh, our basilica, that you can only get at the basilica, that, um, and as well as other devotional things. But we really try to highlight uh, the uniqueness of... Um, Saint Anne de l'Etoile.
Okay. Well, look, we have to take a little break. Uh, if you are interested in finding more about it, you can go to saint-anne.org. And saint is spelled the French way, S-T-E-A-N-N-E.org. So saintanne.org. Uh, to, and you can find out more about the Basilica of St. Anne de, de Troyes, de Detroit. So we'll be back with some of your questions and comments and more information from Monsignor, so please stay with us. Hey, welcome back. Before we go to the folks who are calling in and studio questions, I just wanted to ask Monsignor uh, a, a question first. What is the difference between a major basilica and a minor basilica? It's a very good question um, because <laughs> for centuries there, there was no distinction in a sense. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not until the 18th century where there's a uh, distinction between major and minor, because at that point, before the 18th century, the only basilicas were the basilicas of Rome. Mm -hmm. St. Peter, St. John Lateran, St. Mary Major, St. Paul's side the walls. Uh, but in the 18th century, starting in 1783, uh, the Pope started to designate churches outside of Rome as basilicas. Mm -hmm. And so it's at that point that they're distinguishing between the major ones in Rome and minor ones outside of Rome. Are and there any major ones outside of Rome? No, there are okay. not. Okay. So in terms of the United States, we have 90 minor uh, basilicas in the United mm -hmm. States. We, we were the 86th one. In the world, you have uh, 1,110. And so the, the point is, is that it's a very rare honor. They don't pass these uh, honors out like candy. Yeah. Less than 1% of the churches in the United States and less than 1% of the churches in the world are designated the Basilica. So it's a very rare honor uh, to receive. Mm -hmm. And should the Pope, for instance, be exiled to Detroit, he would set up uh, as his Basilica, the place where he uh, would be reigning, uh, at St. Anne's. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Every basilica has two items that ties it to the Holy Father. One is an umbrella, which is called an umbrellino, and it is, uh, the, in the major basilicas, it's red and gold, but in the minor, it's red and yellow. And But what's different about each basilica is the coat of arms on the bottom of that umbrella. It's unique to each, so you have the papal keys, that's the same. The Pope the, uh, who named the Basilica, his coat of arms, the coat of arms of the diocese, the coat of arms of the bishop who requested it to be named, and then the Basilica's own coat of arms. We had to develop our own coat of arms mm -hmm. uh, for our Basilica. Sure. And the second is the uh, Tintunabulum or the bell. Now the bell is the same in every Basilica. The casing around the bell is what's customized to reflect the architecture of the Basilica. So whenever you walk into a church that has those two items, you know right away that this is a minor, minor uh, basilica. And you're right, theoretically, if the Pope would come to Detroit, that it would be expected that he would celebrate Mass uh, at his church in Detroit. And at that point, the, the umbrella would be opened up, but otherwise it's closed. Closed. So it goes back to the Middle Ages when they would use an umbrella to shield the Pope from rain and sun and the bell that warned the town that the Pope is coming for yeah. a visit, but now it's symbolic. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we have a question from our studio. Ma'am, where are you from? I am also from Detroit, Michigan. Uh-huh. And your question? 
my question for Monsignor is, could you please speak a little bit about the importance of restoring a historic basilica? Oh, absolutely. Uh, our current uh, church, as, you know, as we said, was uh, uh, built in 1886 mm -hmm. uh, by the French and wealthy French families in Detroit were the ones who basically financed the building of it. The craftsmanship was first-class European yes. uh, craftsmanship from I, Europe. I, I've seen the photographs of your stained glass windows. It is superb. Stunning. Uh, they, they really are amazingly beautiful and very distinctive. You know, you, you don't see, for instance, the, uh, a French Jesuit named John Francis Regis, a very, uh, who's very relevant for these times because he was very influential in helping to reform women who had been forced into prostitution right. and helping them find a way out of that. In this time of sex slavery, this, he's a very relevant. So you've got right. him there, but lots and lots of other great saints and stunningly beautiful. So sadly, 1886 was obviously quite some time ago, and any building is going to experience wear and tear after so many decades. Mm -hmm. And so I was actually, the main purpose I was sent to St. Anne's uh, was to lead the restoration uh, of this uh, beautiful building. I've raised five million so far, uh, of the 25 million that's necessary. So um, I'm hoping that maybe uh, many of your listeners who see the value in preserving these wonderful old churches for generations to come will be willing to, uh, to help me out, of course. Um, but, you know, churches starting in, in the 70s and 80s, I mean, they, they're more like halls. They're not, they don't inspire, you know, they don't touch the soul. They don't inspire, and these churches do. And it would be a shame to lose them, of course, and that they will, again, they're, I think they're part of evangelization, attracting uh, people of all ages, but especially young people, uh, to encounter God. And yeah. so I think it's vitally important uh, to restore this particular basilica, uh, but any beautiful church, as again, it's all part of the mission, and the building is to ser serve the mission. Yeah, a good book to read on that topic is Michael Rose, Ugly as Sin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that, and that tells about some of the problems in church architecture. We have a caller that's, I think he's going to be related to this issue. Rick, you're calling from Ohio, correct? Yes. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm well. Now, what part of Ohio are you in? I'm in a little town called Bryan, Ohio, which is near Fort Wayne, Indiana. Okay, so you're not that far away from Detroit and and no, St. Anne's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what's your comment or question? Well, my uh, question was twofold, but uh, one is already uh, answered by Monsignor. Uh, how much money was needed to complete the restoration? Um, and I guess so. That looks like twenty million dollars. Twenty-five. And is that just for twenty-five well, tw total. Twenty-five yeah. total. Raise five, so I need twenty. Okay. So right Rick now, is going to. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, you, you have the extra twenty. <laughs> oh, we lost him. Rick, you there? <laughs> yeah, I'm here. I'm oh, here. good. Yeah, I thought I, thought I scared. <laughs> I thought you scared you off. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I just wondered if that includes the uh, just the church or the. Uh, accelerary buildings. It's, uh, Rick, that just includes the church. Uh, we've okay. already renovated the convent. Uh, we have to renovate the parish hall for a million, and then the plaza is is probably another million. So I actually am looking at closer to thirty, if uh, you're counting besides the church. But obviously, the church is the most important, and the most important for the church is the exterior of the building. We really need to uh, cover the exterior. And then once we do that, we'll go into the uh, interior. But um, I mean, you have photographs of the roof and the, the you know, that's really serious that's, when the roof and the, the flashings and all that, that needs to be repaired. Yeah, I need six million like yesterday. Yeah, yeah. that's correct. Yeah. Well, thank, any other comments, Rick? 
If you, uh, Rick's other question was how to contribute, which yeah. is a, a nice practical question. You, you certainly, you have the uh, website that's been given and to certainly contact us and we will certainly uh, follow up. But we, we appreciate any level. We're using actually the windows. This is the 19th century playbook where p families would sponsor windows and have their right. names in them. We're doing the same thing. We're using these we have a hundred of these beautiful windows of various sizes uh, for families today to uh, sponsor them as a means of uh, recognizing their uh, support of the restoration of the church. So you got that? Your questions answered? Yes, thank you very much. Oh, thank you for calling. Appreciate that. Thank you, Rick. We have another caller. Jones? Well, hi, calling Father from Kaplan, New York. Huh? How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Um, I was just wondering, um, Monsignor Kosaki, um, has the Historical Society of Detroit come knocking or is it protected under, um, you know, special buildings in, in Detroit? And also, who were the immigrants that built, the, you know, the Basilica itself back then? Thank you. Uh, okay, good. Thank you. The, the immigrants who built the Basilica were the French, uh, so the... the a lot of the saints are biblical saints as well as French saints. Mm -hmm. um, to your, your other, oh, the historical. In 1998, our whole campus, which includes all our buildings, was declared an historical district of Detroit. Um, but in terms of uh, funding, that, there's no funding that, that comes from that. Um, so that's sadly, we have to raise that ourselves. Yeah, but... Well, though, and the good news of that is you, you don't get um, interference from outside, but uh, but you do get recognition of the historical significance of the church and the buildings there. Uh, that's that's a, a good thing, but if you get financing, sometimes you get interference and. Well, we did the research. All the historical preservations are for non-church buildings, not just non-Catholic, but non-church buildings. The only foundation is called Sacred Places. Is really the only foundation that is willing to. That's its purpose is to help uh, in terms of small grants. I mean, mm -hmm. not twenty million, but yeah. uh, but they're very help. <clears throat> they're very helpful in helping to restore historical churches. That's a good thing, and and I would imagine. Um, with a church that has this quality of stained glass and other craftsmanship that uh, as part of it, that you have to find the people who know how to restore the, the stained glass and how to do the masonry and all the other kind of work that needs to be done. Right, and, and we're fortunate. They're, with the restoration of the um, historical train station by Ford, there's uh, an architect company called Quinn Evans and a general contractor called Chrisman, and this is their specialty. So they are the ones who recruit these craftsmen to, um, who know how to recreate or repair historical building. So the same people that are doing the train station are the same people who are going to do St. Anne's. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Because yeah. you're right, it's a specialty, It's which makes it, sadly, a little bit more expensive. Yeah. But yes. You know, cause, uh, when uh, I used to live in Germany, and of course, during the war, lots of buildings were destroyed. Some of them were of great historical significance. And one of the great things about that restoration after the war is a whole new uh, uh, generation capable of doing that kind of craft rose up and was trained in doing work with stone and brick and stained glass and all the other work. So this is a truly uh, highly specialized type of area. Yeah. And, you know, I think the uh, part of the significance and importance of this is 
you know, to contrast with some of the churches that following a fad of some the late 20th century were, you know, not quite as uplifting That's right. in beauty. You know, the, I think they were trying to get a sense of community in the churches, but they didn't have the same sense of beauty that lifts you up. It was, you know, emphasizing in some ways that God has come down to our level rather than having a sense like in this church of raising us up to God's level. Right. Different theology. Right. So this is a, a, a very important kind of uh, church to preserve so that we have models for churches to come in right. future generations. Right, and I would add, it, it, as important it is to restore and preserve these churches for future generations, we don't want to restore them as museums, right? Mm -mm. Um, as some of the pictures will show, our parish is a very viable community. So again, the, the building is to serve the mission. And we just don't want to restore this um, church, you know, uh, for the sake of restoring it. It's, it's really to serve the mission of the church right. uh, in, in the future. And um, that, that's so vitally important, yes. uh, I think. Um, and, and with the basilica, here's, here's the other thing. There's lots of old churches, right, in various cities, including Detroit. And, you know, so it's not just a matter of, uh, restoring an old church for, for its sake. Uh, but Basilica, you really don't close. In fact, you can't close the Basilica unless you get the permission from the Congregation for Worship and the Sacraments, as well as the Congregation for Clergy. So when a bishop petitions for a church to become a Basilica, he's making a commitment that this is going to be a major church in his city, his diocese, and it would be the last one to close. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it's a real commitment on the Archbishop of Detroit's part that he feels the significance and importance of this church for the parish, the city, and the diocese. And um, it would be the last one to close, which is obviously highly unlikely. Yeah. And I think, because this was also one of my impressions when I lived in Detroit, as you come off of the Ambassador Bridge from Canada, this church dominates. That's right. And in one sense, this is the welcome to the United States. It's also an important connection with our friends in Canada because these French settlers came from Canada but they truly became American. And so this kind of uh, welcoming of the outside world to our country, the, this, uh, you know, the Canadians and others who cross over that bridge is a welcome given by the Catholic Church as well as by you know, the folks from immigration. Yes, you're right. I mean, who knows that the thousands of people who cross that bridge every day and see that church, uh, how that may may touch them, or may be a sign for them, in terms of what they're uh, struggling with. I mean, wh who knows the impact? I mean, only God knows, right? But who knows, you know, the impact of uh, of the church just being that that welcome uh, sure. to people on both sides of the river, as you say. Yeah, yeah, and that's a very important thing. Um, we have just uh, about th three or four minutes. Um, what what would be your final reflections on this assignment that your bishop gave you, Bishop Vigneault? Well, that, that's an interesting spiritual question. Um, when I was asked to uh, become pastor of St. Anne's, I, I really didn't want to move from the parish that I was at. I didn't think I... It, actually, St. Regis, we mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. um, and so I wasn't ready for a move in... in he basically, in a nutshell, he said, you know, the previous pastor had passed away. That's what caused this. And he said, Chuck, I've been praying about this for three weeks, and every time I prayed about this, your name came up. 
So at that point, I realized this is what God wants me to do, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I can say no to my bishop, but I can't say no to God. Because ever since I was ordained, whatever the church wanted me to do, whatever God wanted me to do, that's what I would do. So I just took that as he, him sharing his prayer of saying, this is God's project ultimately. God wants you to do it. And are you willing to do it? And my answer was yes mm-hmm. in the end. Yeah, there was a certain element of leaving your boat in your nets <laughs> over at St. John Francis Regis Parish. Right. And coming over to St. Anne's Parish. But I can tell you in the six years, it's been a lot of work. But as usual, when you say yes to God, he makes it happen, number one. And two, that's your source of happiness. Yeah. Your true source of happiness is doing God's will. Yeah. Even sometimes when it's not something that you would have chosen um, or something that could be a bit challenging, um, in the end, when you do God's will, that's the, that's the source of your happiness. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm very happy where I'm at and very happy to take on this, this project with, with the, the help of a lot of generous Catholics. I think mostly family foundations are what we're targeting because they, you know, we're hoping that through their largesse that they would see this as a worthy uh, project to support. Yeah, and again, it, it, you didn't plan on Ford opening up this. I, I became pastor a year, bef- a year and a half, almost two years. Bef- no, I became pastor exactly two years before they announced the buying. Of, you're right; that it was yeah. not in the. But that's how God works, right? And this is our God willing, our Lord coordinating a variety of things to help part, be part of. A revitalization. Detroit had a lot of problems in the past, right? Right. Uh, and it's not as quite as bad as that fire, but it, it's, this is part of a new revival, and maybe Father Richard even, is praying for us. Right, right. And even being invited to to be a, on the show tonight for me is a, is a God wink. Yeah, so I appreciate it very much. Glad to have you. Again, you can go to Saint Anne. Uh, it's S T E dash A N N E. Dot org, And Father, would you, Monsignor, would you join me in giving a blessing? Absolutely. May Almighty God bless you and cause His face to shine upon you and lead you in all of your ways by His peace. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, we can bring Monsignor to tell about this beautiful uh, basilica and all the other programs we have only because the network is brought to you by you. So please remember to keep us in between your gas bill, electric bill, and cable bill, and we'll be able to pay all of our bills too. Thank you, and God bless.